0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Why talk about faith? We're we're people of faith. Why why talk about it? It's hugely practical. And I know uh, certainly this season of church that um, you you go through moments as a leader. You go through moments where you talk leadership, where you talk strategy, and then you have weeks like this week, which... I hope you don't have to have too, too often, but you visit not one but two much-loved people in an in intensive care unit in North Shore Hospital. If you live long enough, your health will fail you. If you live long enough, a business will fail you. If you live long enough, a relationship will fail you. So the question for us is, how do we know? Isn't it that the question, how do we know when we get into these moments? Not if they hit, but when they hit. How do I know that I'm going to make it? How do I know that I'll have the resources and the power to make it through? The deep question and why faith is so intensely practical for us this morning is that at any point in life, we have to answer the question, how can I live a life where when my circumstances hit, they don't master me, but I master them, right? Would you like to answer that question? Like help on that question? That won't come from me. It'll come from here. Because the book of Hebrews, and certainly this chapter, the faith chapter, all of the book of Hebrews seeks to address that question. How do we live lives of faith? And how do we have the power and the resource to get through those moments when life hits? And it dares to say that that sort of life is called a life of faith. Now isn't it true when people hear that word, uh, life of faith, maybe you've got friends like this, there tends to be one of two different responses, there tends to be what I'd call the sarcastic response, and that, that's the response where you, you're with a friend and you like Margarita, you publicly declare your faith and you've been a great neighbourhood minister and you say that you're a Christian and they, it sort of goes like this, oh yeah, yeah, I, I wish I was one of those types. Anyone ever had that experience? <laughs> It's, it's, it's what I call the sarcastic approach. The premise underneath that for some people when they are responding in that way is that, oh, look, in order to have faith, you have to be gullible. You have to be simple. You have to throw, throw caution to evidence and all things rational. You just, you're, the one, you're one of those types that believe. Now, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum really is the person that is in deep crisis and has seen the way that you've gotten through deep crisis, and they genuinely say, I wish I could have what you had. It's a light of the world type... I, I wish. What is, what is that resource that you've got there? Now guys, one of, I wish I could just have that for whatever season I'm getting through. Now, a big mistake is made when people think like that. And here's what it is, that they think faith is either a talent or a trait or a temperament. And it's, it's not that, it's more than that. It's more fundamental than that because here I want to put it to you, that whether you would call yourself a Christian or a non-Christian this morning, everyone lives out their lives on the basis of a faith uh, premise. Everyone has an inherent faith assumption. Everyone's got faith. I was reading a National Australia Bank advertisement, big billboard on the Carl Expressway going down to the rocks this morning. It said, you take the leap and we'll help you land. That's a good ad. What's it talking about? Faith. You have to live all of your life out, on the, even the non-spiritual matters, on the basis of a faith premise. How do you know whether that's a good house to buy? How do you know that that's going to be a good investment? How do you know which is the right person to marry? How do you know the right doctor to choose? Will they serve you the best way? Will they heal you the best way, right? So are you seeing that whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, everyone's got faith. It's not a matter of how much faith that you've got, but it's more a matter of where you place your faith. You've got plenty of faith, all right. It's just locked into something else other than God. Some people have more faith that your chair is going to hold you up this morning than you do in God this morning. And what I want to encourage you with is you're a person of faith. We all have faith. So if we all have faith, what is faith then? Faith is this. Faith is a process that both Christian, non-Christian, both... Christians and scientists employ employ. faith is this process and that's all we're going to look at this morning when we look at what faith is faith starts with thinking and it's a thinking that leads to a decision that then completes itself in commitment Say that again faith starts with thinking a thinking that leads to decision that then completes itself in commitment that's what faith is if we get that out from our time together this morning that's what faith is faith starts with thinking let's look at this hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 by faith we understand that the universe was formed at god's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible now how is faith born here the greek word there for understanding is noieo. means uh, means to think uh, means to be rational. So in other words, the first thing we learn here that the Bible says is that faith actually begins with thinking. It's a rational process. You might have done this. Look, Imagine that your doctor says to you, look, you've, you've got a tumour there, we're not sure what it is, but we're going to have to operate this, this next Saturday coming. And you've only just walked into the doctor's surgery. You, you just took the next available appointment, so you've got no idea who he is. And so what do you do when you go home? You start typing in Reviews. Dr. Johnson and Tumors, is he good? Look up Yelp. You hope that you might get four stars. Google Review says that he's great. You you might get a second opinion. You, You might, what are you doing? You're beginning a process of rationally gathering the evidence in order to what? Make a faith decision. Because you're going to get to Saturday and, and you can gather all the evidence that you want on the internet and you get to get to a point where you, you're going to trust whether or not you're going to allow him to put that mask on your face and you're going under and you're totally in his hands. And so faith begins with the rational process of thinking. You do that all the time. What, what are you doing? You're not noyeo-ing. You're understanding. Your faith is being born out of thinking. You develop faith through thinking. And see, now this is why this is really important. What the Bible therefore is saying, that by faith we come to understand that the universe was formed not out of the visible but the invisible. What it's saying is that when the Bible calls you to faith in God, it doesn't call you to be gullible. It doesn't call you to just be simple and throw caution to the wind. It doesn't call you to be emotional. It calls you to think. So what it's saying here in in verse 3, by faith we understand, here's what it's saying. What it's asking you is this. The Bible is asking you, which faith premise has the best explanatory power of what you can see? You know, scientists do this all the time. In fact, that's how scientists have to operate. There was a, a guy called Einstein... He did a thing called the two-split experiment, and he said, It seems as though we must use sometimes the one theory and sometimes the other, while at times we may use either. We're faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. So you can see what he's saying here? Einstein's saying, on the basis of an unseen faith premise, start with a premise and see if that has the best explanatory power towards the observable evidence. Now, you're thinking, what's that got to do with my faith and the practicalities? Look, guys, we all know that there are two primary faith premises in the world this morning, right now. I'll make them real simple. That premise number one is that there is an all-powerful, all all-creative, sovereign, massive, glorious God who formed the universe out of His being, that His always is, always been, always will be. And that all of that came from Him. Or, at the other end of the spectrum, there is no God. And what Einstein would say to you this morning, not Sam or the Bible... He would say to you this morning, friends, take either of those faith premises and begin to think the implications of them out. What it means is that a Christian is someone, when they come to the Bible, we're not gullible, we're not simple. We come to the Word of God and we start with the faith premises of an all-powerful God. And that's what I do as a Christian. When I've witnessed the miracle of holding my little child as they've just been born as I've experienced the love for my wife, as I've seen the complexity of the universe around me, as as I've seen the way that all the waves and the animals and the creation come together and that life bustles and comes forward, as I look at the many unanswered questions in life, I choose between the two premises. And I choose to believe as a Christian that this faith premise has the best explanatory power. Because, friend, on the other end of the spectrum, I've been over here, I've asked this question, that there is no God. And yes, on one hand, I could concede that scientifically, it's mathematically possible that all of this is an accident, just a giant cosmic accident. The love for my wife, the miracle of childbirth, the complexity, it's all an accident. It's mathematically possible. It's mathematically possible in the same way that if I had a bottle of ink here and we exploded it, that it would write the Bible on the walls in ink. possible, but it's not as powerful. It's not as plausible. And so I know I'm labouring this point a bit. We'll get through the next ones a little bit quicker. But friends, can you see that faith is not about getting emotional or overly spiritual. It begins with thinking. What it means for you this morning, if you are still questioning whether there is a God, the Bible challenges you in a healthy and an encouraging way to think that out. If you're just a cosmic accident, we can't get upset at injustice. We can't declare that the world must have a right and a wrong because we're all just atoms, right? Whirling around the sun. And so the Bible simply asks you to say, which premise has the best explanatory power? The Bible calls you to think. Faith starts by thinking. Now, we're going to get through these next points. I want to labour that and to ensure that... We got that down, but that's making sense, right? Faith begins with thinking. We're thinking up those implications. And now the next step is all of these different steps have to build on on another before you make that decision to commit. And so the second thing that happens is that that thinking should lead to being convinced to make a decision on the basis of that truth. Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Uh, literally translated there, it means uh, the, the conviction of the pra- pragmaton. It's where we go. it sounds like an English word, doesn't it? Um, to be pragmatic. We, we, are, we are convinced with the pragmatics, the facts, the evidence. The past truth, the simple truth. We're not getting too complex. That which we see around us. So it means that in order to be a person of fa- of faith and to be led to faith, which we all are, by the way, you begin with that rational thinking, and then that, that thinking then leads you to a point where you become you become convinced of that thinking. There's something different in that. Now it, it, it's like the way that you know th- there are there are hundreds of Bible scholars around the world that know the Bible fifty times better than I do as a pastor and yet they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. That's because there is a difference between believing in God and believing God. You see, it's possible that you you can't have faith without thinking. You have have to be thinking in order to have faith. Um, But you can have a thinking that never leads to faith. And so we become convinced of the pragmaton, the pragmatics, uh, Martin Luther called this census, which is like the, literally it means the ascent. You know that moment where that's where this feels sp- supernatural. You almost you take the information and, it, and it, it just it clicks. Stephen Covey would call it an aha moment. To use the modern language of the '90s, you have an ascent, and here's here's what it looks like. You are convinced to no longer live your life out on the basis of what you see in front of you, but you you draw a line from the past truths into your present so that your behaviour is affected on that basis. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of, of what that looks like and, and uh, oh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty tragic. Um, but it proves the point. Many of us have seen the Boxing Day tsunami. The Boxing Day tsunami, I remember seeing the videos. You might have seen them on YouTube When uh, when that moment in which the tsunami sucked all of the water out from the beaches. Anyone see that moment? That terrifying moment when all the, all the water was sucked out and there were two types of people that you see in those video clips. You see the locals and you see the tourists. And you knew the difference between the two because the tourists were the ones that were running down to all the exposed rocks that once were in the middle of an ocean taking photos and happy snaps with one another and the locals were the ones running to the hills. Now, had every local been through a tsunami? Probably not. But what had happened throughout history, oral tradition, grandma or grandpa, mom and dad, someone told them that when the ocean goes out like that, horror is coming. And what did they do? They'd never seen it. They may not have even experienced it. But by faith, they were certain that they drew a line from that past unseen truth into their present. So it led to a decision that eventually gave them life. And you see, a Christian in the same way is, is someone that lives their life out on the basis of an unseen and in many cases an unexperienced truth. Do we live with Jesus? Do we, do we walk around with Jesus? No. But I've been to Galilee I've been to the places Capernaum, I've been to Nazareth, that feels real to me. Then I've seen the way that I've read church history, that the the Christianity spread out from Jerusalem. Then you hear countless lives of people that were burnt at the stake or killed by lions or, or, or died living for this guy Jesus. And then you see the way that it transformed countries. Christians are people that live on all of the handed down pragmatics and say on the basis of that, that affects how I choose to live now. I'm convinced of that. And so that is why we then go on to make the decisions that we do as Christians. When you come to the Bible and it says that, that a, a sexual relationship should be reserved for one special person in your life, it makes no sense to the average Sydney sider, but we, 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 live, we live out on the, on the basis of, of, of what has been passed down to us. That the Bible tells us that we're to be generous and give our money away. That's so countercultural. But we've seen how time and time again, people who are generous are blessed by God and bless others in that process. And so what we know to be true and pragmatic in the past and unseen affects how we behave now. And we are convinced that we are moved to a decision. So you think it out. Those pragmatics convince you to that a that aha moment. And the final piece this morning, that, that thinking leads to a decision and that decision then has to complete itself in commitment. Otherwise, you never have faith. Now, we, we know this, right? Is it just me or is, the, is the, modern, the modern person? The modern person always wants certainty on this side of faith. The modern person always wants certainty before faith. I don't know if I ever, I ever told her this, but my wife, Kristen, when I was thinking about marrying her, I took, I took all of her various traits and I, I plugged them as the account that I was into an Excel spreadsheet. And I did myself up a weighted average matrix. So she believes in God. Yes, that was at the top of the list. That was multiplied by a factor of 10. Okay. She lives in West Pennant Hills and I live on the beaches. Not a significant factor of three. (laughs) We always want certainty this side of commitment, don't we? And that is the great uh, problem for all of us. But you can't have certainty unless you make the commitment and faith completes itself. There's a great line from the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio and he was was wondering if a particular man that he was working for was going to deliver on his promise. He says, how do you know I can deliver? The man says, you can't, but I can. So do you want to take a leap of faith or do you want to grow old and die an old man living with regret? How do I know? You can't, can't, but I can And so we always want certainty on this side of commitment, but it doesn't work that way. We see this in Abraham's example. We're going to talk about him for the next couple of weeks in this series. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. So how can I know? You can't, Abraham. He would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went, even though he had no idea where he was going. His faith completed itself in commitment. And so, what does that mean? What does it mean to commit? It means to commit. Simply means this: is that you you shift your centre of gravity onto God. And I think the modern person we, we we try and we like to hedge our bets, don't we? That's why we've got things in the financial world called derivatives. You take it out an alternate position. We we like to hedge our bets, and we go either way, but. The thing with faith is that it either is or isn't. You either do or you don't. I used to say to dad all the time, you know dad I nearly saw a shark once. (sighs) Did you son? You nearly saw a shark. You either do or you don't. (sighs) There comes a point where you either do or don't trust God. You either believe in him or you believe him. And so that's what it means. You shift your center of gravity. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he The disciples come in and they want to shoo all the little kids away. And he says, don't do that. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Unless you have faith like this child, you may never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know, I don't know about you. I always used to read that verse as meaning this. Unless you have, I bought into the modern view, unless you have a simple faith. Children are simple, right? Children are gullible, right? I always read that to mean unless you had a simple faith, unless you threw evidence out with the rubbish, On Monday morning. Unless you do that, then you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. See, what's the difference between a child and an adult? To me, what I witness is a child easily shifts their center of gravity, don't they? They're incredibly trusting. And we we adults get in your 30s and then your 40s and your 50s and your 60s and Certainly you older generation, do you ever find yourselves in that moment where, where somehow there's, there's like an inner gravity, isn't it, into your own locus of trust? That somehow I get enough wisdom, I get enough experience in the world that, you know what, I've just reached a point in my life where it's just easier to trust me instead of God. That's why I need a childlike faith. Not because the Bible is calling you, right, in light of what we're hearing here, to be simple or simplistic, Jesus is saying you need a childlike faith because it's inherent in the human condition that you will, there is always a gravity that will pull the locus of your trust into yourself and not to God. You've got to shift your center of gravity, which is what Abraham did. Thinking, it starts with thinking that leads to a decision, some aha and a census that must complete itself in faith. You can never have certainty on the beginning side of faith it always comes after you made that decision it came after that decision when I made that faith step to marry my gorgeous wife I could never answer that question I I can answer that question and it's an example of the way in which all faith examples our relationship with God also works I took that faith decision, and as I continued to see uh, the wonder and the beauty of who she was and how she supported me, that that information, that pragmatics, then continued to affirm the conviction that I had in my heart, which continued to reinforce that step in which I felt more and more comfortable in order to commit. And it's a positive reinforcement cycle. And so that's why as Christians, Jesus says you only need faith as small as a mustard seed, but he doesn't expect it to stay that way. He says, through this process of thinking these things out, your faith will grow. And so as we finish this morning, church, I just, I I feel for many in this place, brothers and sisters, part of the family, that I know you're going through such a difficult time at the moment. Maybe some of you feel like you're losing your faith. Maybe you feel like your faith is being weakened. And can I encourage you that if, if that is you, it's, it's not because you're becoming any less spiritual, it's not because you haven't whipped yourself up into enough emotion at, uh, at that time. I, I believe whenever we as Christians come into this moment, it's, if we feel like we're losing our faith, it's because we're not thinking thinking of the way that he has been faithful, thinking on the way that we've seen God at work in people's lives around us, thinking upon the way in which he has sustained us in past events and surely that he should sustain me now in this event, thinking of the way in which things have just been unexplainable in my life, in other people's lives, and we're not thinking. That's why in chapter 12 that we'll get to the whole solution to that loss of faith is that the writer says, since then, we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people that have been through this, the proof of the way that God works in people's lives, transformed lives that we see in the Baptistry this morning. Since we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us focus our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and the achiever of our faith. It says, think about it. Think it through. Don't whip yourself into an emotional frenzy. A friend, this morning, if you're checking out church, if you're checking out Christianity, if you're checking out Jesus, we're coming to a moment in which, let's be real, I want to call you this morning to, to think out your faith premise. To think out the premise upon what you're living your life on. Many people come to church saying, oh, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm in pain, I'm struggling. Life is tough. I need some inspiration. I need some revelation. I need some guidance. And friend, can I say to you that none, none of all of this will be any help to you until you first make a decision about whether there is no God or there is a God. Because friends, we Christians, we act differently, don't we? Uh, the world is either full of tourists or the locals, and we're the sort of people that look, I feel it even as a young guy, I hesitate to say it because it makes me feel old and fuddy-duddy. But friends, society is changing, morality is changing, our culture is changing. You know what that is? The ocean's being sucked out. We've got a choice as Christians as to whether we want to go and continue to stare into that on the basis of what we know to be true in the past, or on the basis of what we know is coming, a tsunami of love and justice where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more evil. He's coming and we live in the midst of that moment. We choose to run to the safety of him. And so all I can hope and pray for us this morning is as we leave this place and we think about many of the deep struggles that we're going for this morning, that we simply think. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.